Hi, I'm Anson Ho. Welcome to SFGov TV in person, where we have a roundtable discussion with people around our community about important topics. Today, we're going to be talking about maturing and aging, basically retirement life. Um, really, really excited to speak with you all today. Um, something that I'm trying to plan for and thinking about uh, every year as I'm working every day and hoping not to work <laughs> anymore. So why don't we just get into it? Uh, we can just go around, introduce yourselves, um, and let us know if you uh, are retired right now or planning to retire soon, or, and also like what kind of career you're in. Can we start with Crystal? Hi, my name is Crystal Jang. I'm a fourth generation Californian, third generation San Franciscan. I identify as she, her, uh, they, and ta as pronouns. Um, born and raised in San Francisco. I taught school, was part of the educational system, San Francisco Unified School District. I was educated by San Francisco Unified School, school District. Then went back and taught for 37 years in middle school and high school. Nice. Um, I married to my wife, uh, Sydney, who we've been married at least 30 years, and we were married several times because many times it didn't take because of the GLPTQ issues. And then we have a daughter, Cameron, who is named after Cameron House, Donaldina Cameron. Awesome. Um, I live currently in uh, Sunnyside, beautiful Sunnyside, the foggiest part of the, the city. Um, and um, been retired since 2000, re officially retired from the school district since 2005. And since then have done a lot of community work, working with the LGBTQ uh, API communities and focusing now as I get older in intergenerational work, um, building bridges and trying to um, create a stronger community across the board. Nice. Were you, did you always, were you always like interested in working with youth or education growing up, like when you were younger? I always knew that in the seventh grade I had this incredible teacher at Francisco Junior High School, Mrs. Burke. And uh, from then on I knew I was going to be a teacher from the seventh grade. I didn't decide anything else. So I became a teacher and I stayed because I loved the vacations. I loved the time <laughs> off. Nice. Awesome. David, how about yourself? Yes. I'm. <laughs> Reverend David Brown, I this today is my one year anniversary of being retired. Nice. So uh, just last last uh, September was when I retired after serving three Presbyterian churches here in San Francisco, uh, Covenant Presbyterian, Calvary Presbyterian, and then the last one was Noy Valley Ministry Presbyterian Church. And um, I originally from Colorado and uh, raised our kids in Denver and, and all that, but came uh, came to San Francisco in 2000, went to seminary to become a Presbyterian minister, and that's what I've done for the last 23 years. So Nice. And before you came to California, you, were you... Before, I was a Baptist minister <laughs> and also a child protection uh, social worker uh, in my previous life. So <laughs> Awesome. Thank you. Jimmy, how about yourself? I'm Jimmy. I'm uh, retired from the Department of Public Health here in San Francisco. Uh, I served as the Deputy Director of Health um, with responsibility for HIV, um, mental health, substance abuse, were all in my work um, as the Deputy Director. I retired in 2008, then on a Friday and on a Monday I started in a nonprofit as the Interim Executive Director and stayed there for four years. 
and then came, uh, then officially retired, retired uh, in 2011. I currently serve on five community boards. Wow. I, I have a need to be active. Yeah. I look mm -hmm. at some of my friends who retired and they don't seem very healthy to me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I knew that I wanted to be healthy. I'm a first generation Californian. I've lived in San Francisco for 50 years, a little over 50 years. My whole career, professional career was here, except for a brief moment of insanity when I went to LA for five years. <laughs> I came back. <laughs> so, um, awesome, thank you. Linda, how about yourself? Sure, uh, good morning. Um, Linda Parker Pennington, or LPP, you know me, uh, is the handle. Um, I uh, uh, have been in California since 1981, having come out for graduate school, been in San Francisco for 25 years uh, since I got married. Uh, I don't consider myself retired. Um, I have my own business. I, I created my own business in about 2006, uh, and I do leadership development, organizational consulting, um, and you know I'm described as a, a triple threat uh, because I uh, worked for um, Apple Computer in the 80s and um, Accenture in the 90s, and then uh, Google in the aughts um, uh, when I was in my 40s, which made me what they called a Gregler. Uh, only 2% of people at Google <laughs> uh, were over 40. 2% uh, were African American and, um, and some small percentage. Or, anyway, so I was kind of a, a unicorn. Uh, so, um, and now that I'm uh, still doing my own business, but you know, at my own pace, doing the things that I enjoy. I, I also serve on a, a few boards uh, <laughs> that I will claim and have served on a, a number of boards over the years um, because I enjoy working with nonprofit organizations like, uh, you know, Goodwill. I, I, I spend a fair amount of time at Goodwill and the Tide Center, and I try to have an impact uh, in my life and try to be on point with my purpose and serving my people. and. Uh, helping people do what they can do. Um, and I'm a little strange because my son is 21, uh, so I learn a lot from him. <laughs> and so I am on every social media platform known to man. And I actually do use them now, you know, <laughs> God help me, you know, you know, people send me TikTok and I go, okay, I'll look at the TikTok, uh, you know, but it was somewhat reluctantly, but you know, when you have a son that age or a child that age, you know, and, and people who have grandchildren probably feel this way too, you know, it keeps you current. So, uh, so anyway, that's, that's me. Nice. Thank you. So, um, let's just start with sort of the easy questions. I think, um, you know, for me, I think whenever I, it's oddly, whenever I take a vacation and I come back and I go back to work, I'm like, man, how am I gonna get ready to retire and like do what I wanna do, you know? So I was just wondering like for you all, um, what, at what age or what, maybe what moment did you start thinking about whether it's finance or health or, or like things to do when you retire? What, what, at what time or age or moment aha moment did you have when you start thinking about retirement? Anyone? I think for me, it was um, a natural because being in education, uh, every summer was a retirement. <laughs> and every September was a renewal. So I had the great privilege and pleasure of retiring every year and not teaching summer school, 
but enjoying life and balancing the work life, you know, profession. And uh, my daughter is now also in education. She's a, a physical therapist in the schools. And she's mom, they call it the golden handcuffs. Because you are, you have this job where you work for a certain amount of time, you intensely working physically and emotionally, spiritually and everything. And then you can relax for a couple months, like a retirement, and you come back to it. So that gave me a lot of practice of taking time off, doing what I needed to do, recharging and coming back again. Nice. So I, you know, I have a different view myself, which I kind of signaled earlier about retirement. I, I don't think I ever thought I would retire anyway. I just, mm -hmm. uh, uh, someone told me a long time ago when I was quite young that life unfolds in three stages, to learn, to earn, and to serve. And so as I, you know, go at coming through school, but also being a lifelong learner, I then, you know, transition into, okay, let me earn some bucks and, you know, make some money and, and help my family be comfortable. But I moved into service early in my career. So service has become, you know, the work I do. So, uh, and it's, you know, whether I get paid or not is the only issue around that. It's really more a reflection of um, the change in my value system and how I want to uh, show up in the world uh, in, in service. And, you know, if somebody mm -hmm. wants to pay me mm -hmm. to do something, I'm happy about that too. And that value system though, did it come at an early age or like later on middle, like when you're working in some sort of field? Yeah, it came pretty early. You know, my family is very multi-generational and I had a great aunt, uh, Marvel Cook, who was actually a, uh, she was the first black woman journalist um, in the US and she worked for W.B. Du Bois when she graduated from University of Minnesota. So I used to, you know, sit with her and spend the, the weekend with her and just be with her, you know, when she was uh, in her 90s and uh, she passed when she was 98. Um, and I always thought about legacy so because she taught me about, you know, um, her life and what it meant, uh, the impact of that. And that was kind of her legacy to leave. So I always thought about what's the legacy that I will leave. So I, it kind of put me on the path of that uh, pretty early. Wow. Nice. For, for me, um, I had a, my, my favorite grandmother and I was her favorite grandchild. I lorded it over my cousins and my brother and sister was uh, she used to say to me, if you ain't willing to work from can't see in the morning to can't see at night, you ain't willing to work. <laughs> uh, so I um, always had this notion that I would work. Now, I never thought about retirement until 2008. I seriously, in 2008, I was deputy director of health and the city was in financial trouble. And the board of supervisors came up with this idea that if you were one of those high paid execs, that we, they would give you three and three, three years of age mm -hmm. and three years of service. And I said, well, this is a good time to leave. Mm -hmm. And I decided to retire in 2008 as a result of that offer because it made me have more revenue from my retirement um, because it made me older, three years older, and gave me more service. And so I retired based on that fact. And I also knew that um, I wasn't going any higher than the Department of Public Health or in city government. Uh, the next place for me was the health director, and I knew that wasn't going to happen. Uh, so I decided, well, it's time to go. And I left. As I moved into my 70s a couple of years ago, um, my wife of 50 years would say, have you thought about retiring yet? And uh, I was saying, no, I, I don't think I'm ready to retire. I still feel like I feel like I have something to say still. Uh, 
writing a sermon every week, for instance. And, uh, and, but there was also the, I don't know if I can afford to retire idea. So I just, I just keep on working until I, I can't anymore. Uh, and then one day I did have an aha moment. I, and, and it was like, you know, maybe I have said all I need to say. And <laughs> maybe I should consider, you know, setting that aside and not making that my, my main thing. But also, we realized that in the time left in my life, there were things that we wanted to do, like travel, uh, seeing friends in the different places around the world that we, that we uh, have had done a little bit before, but wanted to do much more. And, and to just so shift gears and, and do those kinds of things. Um, and so about a year, about two years ago, I started thinking more and more about what what retirement would look like, uh, looking at the financial things, uh, you know, my the pension benefits from my the Presbyterian Church and and Social Security, everything like that, and just started really zeroing in on figuring that out yeah. and came to the place where I said, yeah, I, th I think we can do this. And however, like two weeks after I retired, I realized that I missed writing. So I went back to writing stuff, not sermons, but, uh, but also uh, realized that I enjoyed doing what I was doing. So I'm right now I'm doing a temporary interim pastor thing for a few months, <laughs> even though I just retired a year ago. So, so it's kind of like I can't help myself, but right. the flexibility of it. So we're going to Colorado in a couple of weeks and we're <clears throat> going to go to New Zealand in the fall. I mean, in the, in the, in the winter. So, uh, so that freedom makes a big difference. Nice. But I want to ask though, like, you know, obviously we're sort of after post COVID, but sort of still happening. But, when that happened, did it obviously it forced everyone to slow down, but did that give you more of an itch to do more? Or did that actually say, ooh, like because maybe my health is not as great, I need to be careful, slow down and not do as much. Like so did COVID kinda slow you guys down more or actually push you to do more? Because I know for my mom, she was like kind of more fearless because she was like, no, I don't want to be cooped up. Like, this is like, I need to do more now. It made this, this light bulb moment for her where she's like, okay, life, my life is a little shorter now and I should do more. Like, how, how about for you all? Well, you know, uh, COVID would have made me crazy because I, I'm someone who likes to travel. If I don't get out of the country, you know, every year, I, I literally go nuts. And so um, the inability to travel was a thing for me. So I, but I did um, reconnect with nature. So then I started just taking long walks in Heronshead Park, which is near uh, where I live uh, in the Bayview and reconnecting with nature. And then I took up meditation, which I had toyed with and I was horrible at it, but I yeah. stuck with it through that. So those are the two things that really saved me because the confinement would have, you know, been too much for me. Nice. I'm glad that, I mean, it's something that's very positive that came out of it, actually. Yes. Yeah. Well, COVID for, uh, for me was uh, really looking at what was uh, important in our lives. And my mother um, was 104 when she wow. just passed. And she was a lifelong San Franciscan and one of the a pioneer in her own way. And we actually still had to maintain her lifestyle. You know, she was independent until she was 100 in North Beach Chinatown. 
uh, walking around and, and doing her own grocery shopping and, and everything like that. But so we still had to still visit her, help her out with groceries and things like that. But that sort of made us a little more less fearful because we had to go out. I mean, there was no choice. But we then we started delivering, my, my partner and I started cooking and delivering food to a lot of the other folks, seniors. We were seniors ourselves, but we were, a lot of people were, were uh, more senior than we were, so we felt like they needed the help. And actually we felt like we needed to do it. It was like a need to do it. And, and that the fact that we were very careful, and thank goodness I never got COVID, uh, neither one of us did, but we were able to take care of other folks too, and that made it really worthwhile for us. So we didn't stop, but my mom also showed us that, you know, uh, she was fierce in her own way of living, and she lived life, and she just kept going, and um, so it was a great example for us. Nice. That's awesome. For, for me, it, um, I run. So I had an opportunity to, to run in my neighborhood. I live in the Outer Mission in St. Mary's Park. Uh, I have lived there for over 30 years. So I run in that area, but I also get in my car and drive down the marina and run along the Marina Green. And one of the things that's fascinating to me is that it got me out of the house, one, and I got to see people. Even though I didn't know them necessarily, I got to see people and I felt that connection with folks out there. My meditation is to run. And so I try to run three times a week, try to run somewhere between five and seven miles. Uh, and so that for me is the way that I dealt with COVID. But having been um, a health professional and worked in HIV and AIDS, I saw a lot of loss and death and families just destroyed in some cases or disrupted in, in other cases. So in some ways that prepared me for COVID um, because I was able to recognize what do I need to be helpful to other folks? How do I take care of me so that when I come to help the other folks, I'm doing something that makes sense to them and it doesn't become about me. It becomes about them. I like what you say, but I'm sorry. No, you yeah. I like what you say about getting out and, and running, although I hate running. Um, but, but that's one of the things I realize as in, now in retirement is I really got sedentary during COVID and I'm sitting around a lot. And I'm even today, I'm finding it hard to motivate myself to get out and do stuff. And then, you know, my wife will say, let's go take a walk. And I, OK, and then I'll. But then when I do it, I'm, I'm really glad we did it. But but it's I'm having to unlearn that, that if you will, that, that sedentary kind of uh, lifestyle that I sort of got into because the health thing obviously is very important. And and we we have to pay attention to it. There's no doubt about it. Well, that actually ties into what I was going to say, because one of my other coping mechanisms was music. And so I uh, started building playlists. Uh, I actually started at church because I went to church and the, the, um, the, uh, the, the woman who was singing that day, she was singing a song called We Can Be Kind. And I was like, I never heard that song. And, and I said, who is it? And they said, Lancy Lamont. Okay, so I started a playlist called We Can Be Kind. And then I just started building this playlist. And so now, and so the music is, it's not just the music because I sing with it, but I dance also. So I have about 24 playlists now. 
on different categories, you know, one's for dance, one's for romance, one's resistance, one's sexy, you know, you know, whatever. You know, don't know why that's there. But anyway, I, I find that I love to sing and dance to the music and then it reminds me of, you know, what I was doing when I was a teenager and that song played, you know, Motown or the R and B or the whatever. So it um, reconnects me to my heart and uh, my memories uh, and the words in the music, which I think is also good for the brain, because I understand even, you know, people with, with dementia, you can play a song and they will remember the words, right? They will, they, those are still are in the, the muscle memory, I guess, in the brain. So um, I think that the, the music and rediscovering music and reclaiming it in my life was, was huge. And it got me off the couch because I do this in the morning. I didn't care if people were looking through the window. What is that woman? That's a great market for that. I hope you're marketing that. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> You're in. I'll start the series. <laughs> well, one of the things that we did, uh, I'm part of a senior taiko group, taiko drumming uh, from the Y. And what we, we started Zoom during COVID, but you can't drum during COVID Zoom yeah. because you're all off. We tried it the first time and nobody could hear you doing different things. So we started meeting in the park um, and we were like 10 feet away from each other, but we would have 20 people drumming and that music and connection with people even though we were far away and we could keep our distance really kept us going so over the year we we began drumming in the park and that was really really a wonderful thing and kept me going and and kept us sane actually yeah that's great that's so interesting that like i guess you know you're hearing your stories that that made you help more people uh, during a time when, you know, of downtime versus like, um, I guess the, the notion is that we need to help, you know, the, the older people during COVID time, but you actually, you all actually stepped out and helped other people and you're like, no, not me. It's not about me. It's all everyone else. So it's kind of, it's very, very interesting to hear that, you know? I think one of the most important things health wise is, is to be with people. With community, loneliness is going to be is going to continue to be a really really bad thing for our for yeah. our society. In in America, more and more people are living by themselves without any connection with other people, and and uh, we just need to find ways to get out of that kind of thinking and 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 be with people, despite our concerns about <laughs> infectious diseases and that kind of thing. They're, they're, the downside is just, I think, too, too bad, too bad. One of the boards that I sit on is the Meta Fund. And the Meta Funds grants about $2.5 million a year to nonprofits in San Francisco. And one of our populations that we're very interested in serving is uh, aging and older adults. And so we fund programs that target that population. And one of the issues of what you just brought up is loneliness and isolation. And how do we help those folks address those issues with money? We're, we're not doing the work. We're providing nonprofits with the resources. Uh, and some of the nonprofits that we fund are doing intergenerational work mm -hmm. uh, because it's critical and essential for seniors to have an intergenerational relationship to the community. Uh, and to, for the young folks mm -hmm. to get the wisdom that's available from us. Right. Wow. And there we have to say we have to sort of push back against the devices. 
yes. that uh, <laughs> that you know cater to a sedentary kind of kind of existence, and and I don't you know I, I'm not sure what the solutions are to that. I mean, I I, I get sucked into it really easily, and yeah. uh, it's so um, how we can do authentic community in spite of our devices or help to incorporate them into our lives in a more healthy way. I don't know, but it, it seems like it's a crucial thing. I want to build on what you said about uh, community because the, um, the need to be together uh, is critical. And uh, I was very conscious of kind of being with my tribe, you know, whether it was, you know, that my church group or my um, community groups, you know, that I, that I am with. And, um, you know, for better or worse, helping each other through it, you know, because we are all in this together. So in the same way that we do for our family, and I was very conscious of, you know, keeping my eye on my family and, and you know, my sister, one of my sisters has not come through this well. She won't come out of the house. Mm -hmm. And um, literally she aged 10 years um, uh, in, in the last two years of, of, of the pandemic. And uh, so I'm very conscious of everybody's mental health and their state. And also the need to just, I just call people randomly if I say, ah, I haven't talked to that person in like three years since before. And I just will just pick up the phone and call them now to kind of reconnect and check in and, and all of that. So I just think being the conscious rebuilding and reclaiming of our community and i sometimes i refer to them as my tribe for whatever reason um uh is is critical is critical coming out now i i'm kind of curious then like do you all have interactions with younger people kind of uh regularly like do you uh share whether it's your own personal stories or advice or is it more also to keep you youthful as well no absolutely i mean most of my work as i got it's gotten older and not working professionally has been intergenerational work because it's so important because as i'm aging also i'm physically can't do a lot of who's going to carry the garbage out and stuff like that i mean my we have a daughter we have a daughter that's 30 and she still lives with us as many young people are still doing because of the finances and things but all my political work and community work is intergenerational and we made a conscious effort to do that so that we can learn from each other and that especially for api queer folks young folks they need to see that their future can be positive Mm-hmm. That as elders in, in the API community, we're not people. We are people who are thriving, and we continue to thrive. And we can support and guide, and advise, and also listen. And for so our intergenerational work is really building community and building a strong community, so that we can really cross over, help each other. As elders, we have resources that we can share. As young people, they have ideas and. And they certainly can teach us about uh, all, all the te- technology things that I don't know. I'm always asking, well, how do you do this? Yeah. You know, uh, So that's really, really crucial for, I think, for our survival. Yes. When I was uh, at, at Google as a, a woman over 40, uh, this was in 2007 uh, that I started there. And um, I uh, was... I was used to being the younger person, right, in most of my career. But there, I was obviously in the in the elders and uh, you know the, the Greglers, they called the group, 
um, uh, people over 40. And so I uh, had to learn really quickly. It was a crash course in how to stand back and um, be okay when a 24-year-old was telling me what to do, right? And um, I will say, I'm, I'm in general, you know, please don't tell me what to do or how to do it because, like, I, you know, I've been around long enough to know what to do. But you know, the it's not coming out of wherever they went, came out of school, they were used to telling people. Um, so I said, well, you know what? I can sit back and learn something because I'm sure I can learn something from these folks. You know, even though I thought you hired me for my experience and my wisdom, which is of course what they said to me when you know, because I was like, are you sure? Because you know, I've been in Google, I didn't see anybody look like me, but um, there I was. So that, since then, it's been wonderful to have done the work, working across generations, and and having the 21-year-old son, you know, which is really way across the, you know, being a baby boomer and he's Gen Z is crazy gap. But now I am so focused on young people. The other day I was in Sonoma and there was this young woman, this young African-American woman who was over at another table. And I hardly ever see any black people in Sonoma anyway. So finally she was getting up to go and I was like, but I was on the phone with an older woman that I, you know, have a friendship with. And I said, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go talk to that. So I, mean, I literally go over to her just to get to know her mm. because I feel I need we need each other, right? You know, but you know, I know I need the youthful energy, yes. and I love to meet. And she was quite attractive, so I was thinking about people for my son. But <laughs> wow, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah that's you a know, good strategy. Yeah. You know, so so anyway, it's it's it is really the the I cherish that, and also I cherish kind of busting the myths about elders, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, like my son is always quite surprised when my playlist is even more current than his, <laughs> and I have something on there, he goes, what? I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I and, and doing technology, and I'm always training people who are in my age group how to use, you know, Google Docs or, you know, whatever the, the thing is so that they can get more current as well. So I, I like being a modern elder. Hmm. One of the things I think I like about being a senior now, is that I do have some wisdom. I, I do have a life of experiences, and and I've thought about what those experiences mean. So they're not just experiences, but I've, it fits into an overall philosophy of what of what my life is, and I think about it. And and oh, and yes, and then I find myself writing my memoirs, uh, trying to write it all down, which is not easy. But but given all that, I also realize that I still have a lot to learn. And there are and and to have an attitude of continually learning and not just sort of settling back and say, well, okay, I've learned all there is I need to know and I can get by from now on. But but having the curiosity to keep on learning new things and and challenging assumptions that, you know, that I've, you know, I thought I knew that. And well, maybe I don't know that I need to learn something new about it. So. Uh, con- con- continuing to learn is, uh, yeah. I think, a significant thing. I was going to ask Linda. Uh, I was curious, and maybe for all of you too. Like, were you always uh, outgoing or fearful to talk to strangers before, or was it something you like at a certain age or? Now you're like, I don't care, you know, I don't care what anyone thinks of me anymore. You know, I'm just going to go walk in it, you know. Like, Great about getting older. That's yeah. one of the benefits of getting older. Because, I mean, I did grow up very shy, so I was not, I would never talk to, to strangers or, you know, or anything. The danger and strangers yeah. or whatever. But at some point I kind of flipped. But certainly 
once I got to be in my, my 40s and even more so now. I just say whatever. I, if I want to talk to you, I go talk to you. Last night I did this woman sitting there. I said, you look interesting. I'm just going to talk to you. You know, got her whole backstory. And, you know, I don't know. That's I, I guess that's just part of the essence of life. But I think as you get older, you're entitled to that, right? And so I saw, you know, people like Toni Morrison and Cicely Tyson, people who were, you know, they're just who they are, right? And and maybe that came with their age and, and being elder. So, and Maya Angelou, I should, should mention, but you know, people who were storytellers, their life was out there and you connect with them and, you know, and that's, that's kind of always, I've had those models and in my head. People are less threatened when we approach, I think, as elders, you know, they, they just don't see us, they sort of see us as harmless or something until, <laughs> right, right, until right. we open our mouths. Yeah, that, that is true. If, <laughs> you know, if I mean, someone was sitting there and it was, whether it's elder person like or someone else. like your grandma's yeah. coming up to talk right. to you, then you would, you're, you're, much, you're much more open to it. My mother was, like I said, she passed at 104 uh, just recently, but she was a curious person all the way through her lives and even, and she always said, you know, she she made us eat different things constantly. You know, she lived in North Beach. She was the first Chinese person that went to North Beach and opened a business. She was an optometrist in her her lifetime, but her I learned from her curiosity. She would just go up to anybody and just start talking to them, and and learn and made friends and learned about all these different types of people. But just because she was curious and she wasn't afraid. And that was a, was a great uh, role modeling for myself. And I, I really, and uh, I feel like as elders, we just, we just have the, we're able to approach almost anybody and just say, hey, you know, like, you know, how you doing? And, you know, and, and they're really open to talking to us. I think for me that my jobs, my career, forced me to become a more public person. Um, and when I was away from work, I became more quiet and less engaged with other folks. Um, so when I was at work, it was this persona of being in the room and doing what I needed to do and saying what I needed to say. And then after doing a talk or giving a speech or whatever it was that I was doing, people would come up and start talking to me and it forced me to begin to engage. And then that went from that work into my life in general. So I began, became more and more willing to go up and talk to folks uh, that I didn't know. Um, because they didn't know me, they only knew what I presented uh, when I was doing my public health work and some of my volunteer work. But they didn't know me. But I didn't know them either. They were a, a group of people, sometimes large, sometimes small groups of people. And I needed to engage with them um, from other than the pulpit. which. I found myself doing quite a bit from the pulpit. Uh, and so I always had things to say to people. And, and I learned how to be, you know, that public person uh, with, with uh, whatever congregation I was working with. And, but I also sometimes would pull back in the more intimate one-on-one -on -one kinds of thing because it, it, took a lot of, it takes a lot of energy to, yeah. to, to be up front. And if you're, you know, uh, and so, um, but... But then once I would get through the reluctance to keep on being engaged, it was always very wonderful conversations that people seemed to enjoy. Sometimes even my grandchildren, but 
that's pretty rare now, where they enjoy my conversation. <laughs> It'll be good It'll, for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, I just want to kind of do some rapid fire questions. It's more like, you know, short answers, yes, no, or just kind of really short comments and just try to just shoot out some questions to you guys, okay? So um, one question is, do you guys regret not taking more photos or videos when you're younger now that you're older and you don't, you know, maybe not have as many memories documented? Yes. Yes. I took a lot of pictures and now I have to go through them and sort them out. <laughs> I took a lot of, I, yeah. No, I'm, I wish I had taken more, though, of those do days, you know, and, and they were digitally preserved, yeah. too, because I have the photo we albums. Film cameras. Was, was <laughs> yeah. How about, um, do you guys sleep less now? And if you do, do you use, like, what, do you try to use more time to do stuff? Sleep a lot less. Yeah. I sleep more. <laughs> I, take, I, take an, I take a nap every afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Way less. I yeah. Less. Way less. Huh. That's great. Um, do you do you see like the term senior or elder? Is that like a negative term to you, or is it just normal? I'm not crazy about the terms, but I haven't found one that's really good yet. Yeah, I would agree with that. Well, I'm an elder. I'm a modern elder, which is a thing, and uh, so I've totally embraced the term the term elder. Aging and older adult population is part of what I am. And then with that, do you like to use your senior discount or do you always ask for a senior always. discount? Always. Always. <laughs> Absolutely. No. I found the list Tuesday and what age and where and the movie theaters. You could just say you were. They, you you didn't have to discount. look, you know. We right. earned that. Mm, that's right. Get my little 10%. Um, do you guys expect people to kind of give you more respect because you're older? Not in a sense of like, you know, how to listen to you, but like say there's a seat there and they should get up or maybe let you in, like open the door for you, some stuff like that. Do you guys expect more respect? No. No. This is I, California. Yeah. Um, that's a regional thing. <laughs> when, what's, when I'm on the bus and somebody does offer me their seat, I, I'm offended. Yeah. <laughs> I am too. When I'm on BART, you know, I, I say, no, I don't need it. <laughs> I will take the seat. But I thank them. I always thank them. But, you know, just... I offer it to younger people, but I don't want them to offer it to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I offer it to older people that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, when birthdays come up, do you count them still? Do you forget them? Do you have big celebrations for each birthday? I'm turning 75 in November. And I'm having two parties, one in Southern California and one up here. Because <laughs> 75 is a landmark yeah, to me. So. Please invite me. <laughs> I have a party every year. I mean, and sometimes it's in New York, sometimes it's in Sonoma. You know, I just go, go someplace on my birthday. Mexico last year, actually. Mm, nice. Uh, yeah. I do them every five years now. I don't, okay. I, the, the annual one doesn't mean that much. Okay, okay. It's a party. <laughs> um, I mean, we kind of talked about this, but do you think technology is actually good or bad? Hindrance or? I think a hybrid is really good. I think uh, people kept connected through the pandemic through technology. If we didn't have, you know, uh, the Zoom and FaceTime and things like that, I think people would have been really isolated but 
and also helps communicate with a lot of people. Like I can call or FaceTime somebody across the country or across the world and say hello and see them actually, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it's, it's not a big deal. You know, you actually do it easily. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's, it's, mm -hmm. a, it's good. I mean, I can see where there's gets abused by my 13 year old granddaughter, but, but <laughs> no, um, yeah, but it's, it's, um, it's a good tool. Because my mom could attend things. church at 104 right. without leaving the house. Right. So she could every Sunday still yeah. attend church. So she, you know, that was really good for her. Well, as a product of Silicon Valley and Apple and Google, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, it's, it's addictive, which is yeah. the downside. However, when used properly, it, it brings us together and it, it can bring us together as long as it's not sitting on the table when you're having a conversation because it does distract with the notifications, but and, uh, AI is a little scary, so I'm just trying to stay ahead of the tsunami on that thing. Okay, and then last one uh, for rapid fire. Do you think about like your health ailments like every day, like, like, like the meal you eat, the, I don't know, the, the way you move about, you know, your day? Is it like every single kind of step you take, you think about that, or is it more when something happens You'll just figure it out. For me, everything hurts, but I power through it because I feel like if I don't continue moving, I won't. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll stop moving. So I think that to me, you know, I, I'm really heavily into Tai Chi and Taiko, uh, and I feel like it's a need to do that. That you need to keep moving, otherwise, I'll stop moving. Yeah. I, I have one too. two hip replacements, one on each side. And as soon as I get back to the gym, as soon as I get back to running, I did. Uh, that to me is really important. Um, but when my friends in my age group, when, when we first sit down, we do what we say, you have five minutes to do your organ recital. And after that, <laughs> we gotta do something else. <laughs> I'm aware that I'm moving more slowly. Uh, I, I don't have as much flexibility as I used to have. and and. Uh, uh, so I, I'm trying to, uh, so I'm aware of that and, and trying to move more deliberately. Mm -hmm. um, and then also r around eating, uh, my wife and I are being very deliberate about how we eat and being much more careful about um, the nutrition that we're taking in. And, and we, well, we pay a lot of attention to that. What's that one vice though? What's that one thing you love to eat? Well, donuts, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of with Crystal. Everything hurts, but you still, you still power go. through it and go, what? That didn't hurt yesterday. Why is it hurting and it today? It doesn't hurt while you're doing it. Yeah. That's, a, I mean, what, what, you know, we're dancing or whatever, it does not hurt. But once you stop, mm -hmm. then you feel yes. everything. Yeah. Nice. So, so another topic I want to talk about was that um, I think for me and my, my culture, you know, I know I'm going to take care of my mom, uh, and I am right now. But I was wondering, for you all who have kids, do you, when you were, I guess, getting up to the retirement, or now, are you hoping, expecting that your kids will take care of you when you're older, or was it, would it be more of like a hindrance to them to take care of you, and maybe, you know, try to, you know, figure another way out so they don't have that, you know. Not, not like a problem, but another task in their responsibility of their life kind of thing. How do you guys feel about that? I don't want my son to have to take care of me. I expect to 
provide for my needs because uh, I don't want to saddle him with that. Um, and uh, I just want to dance at his wedding. I want to be able to dance at his wedding. No time soon. He's only 21. <laughs> the other day. I just want to, like I told him, you know, and then if he's not married when he gets his Academy Award, I'm his date. <laughs> so, but yeah, no, I, I want to take care of myself. I agree with that. And I want my kids in my life. How are they in my life? I, we haven't defined that yet. My wife and I have talked about that, but we do know that we want them in our lives. But we have set our lives up financially that we, we hope we don't need them, uh, that we'll be able to take care of ourselves and be able to live in assisted living on our own and that they'll come visit us, our grandkids will come visit us. Yeah, I feel the same way, uh, but I had the privilege of spending 76 years with my mom which was an incredible experience. And again, I said she, at 100, she was still productive. And at 103, she was still buying Apple stock. Buy Apple, she would say <laughs> every time it came in. But um, she taught us to be independent, but also uh, I knew culturally, it was, it was our gift also to take care of her. And, but I want also to have my daughter had the independence as well and trying to set it up so that we don't have to be reliant on her. But I, you never know, you can't really plan too much for those things. So. I have four kids who live in various parts of the country and, and we joke about the idea of buying an RV and spending three months at each kid's house in their driveway. <laughs> until we can't do it anymore and and then they tell me dad that joke is getting really tired so uh <laughs> but we uh but the same with we, we want to we don't want to like want to move to where our kids are because we feel like we need to be close to them they can come see us uh and and we'd probably much rather spend our time with with friends um and have our kids and grandkids in our lives but not relying on them in that sense. Okay. And so, um, you know, I guess I do want to ask this as well, like, you know, as far as the topic of like death and stuff, like, does that come to your mind a lot? Like, or does it revisit you a lot because maybe friends or other family are passing away now? Is it something that's kind of on your mind kind of often or not often at all? Oh, well, I go to every funeral of everyone who passes, that, uh, even if I didn't know them. I mean, because I learned so much from that person's life and legacy. So I love to hear the stories told about the person and um, see them celebrated. So I, it, that's how I process death. I don't think about my own death, but I, I want to celebrate people for what they have contributed to the world. Um, and so that's how I, I get good with, with, with death. I think about my own death, but I think about it in a way of celebration because like I said, my mom lived for so long and she, we celebrated her, her life. And I have several friends who are on the verge of transitioning, but they have taught me that you're living life. Your life, you live, 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 live until you transition. You're not dying, but you're living. And from, I'm planning my whole celebration already you know, with, I'm going to have drag shows, I'm going to have like parties, I'm going to have like celebration, taiko drumming, um, but I think it's, a, you know, celebrating our lives and before we transition. I have to say that when I contemplated the idea of retiring, 
one of the calculations was, was how many years left do I have to do these other things that I haven't been doing uh, that retirement would afford me. But so I, I realized I was thinking then more about how when I when when will I die? Uh, but I don't I don't want to spend the rest of my life getting ready to die. I, I just I want to do it living and and be engaged in the in living uh, what in, like I say, learning new things, new experiences, new whatever. Um, I'm not going to go probably jump out of an airplane and, you know, or parachuting or something like that. But I, I want to do new experiences um, because I, I want to living is what's the thing and not just getting ready to die. Yeah, I like that notion. I'm, my work in HIV and AIDS, we spend a lot of time talking about living with as opposed to dying from. And so I'm living. And I intend to continue to be living. No matter what the quality is, I'm going to live. Uh, I'm not dying from life. I'm living. That's great. I think we also have to acknowledge that we're really privileged here at this table. And that we have the financial resources and the education and the language and the situation where we can do what we want to do. But there's so many elders and seniors that you know, that don't have that. And that's where we really need to focus some of our, a lot of our attention on for those that can't make the choices that we make because they aren't in our situations. And even for people whose lives may have been fairly stable, a medical thing hits and it's devastating. We have a friend who probably is going to have to spend the rest of his life in a board and care facility because he just, he's not going to get better. And if he's lucky to be yeah, able to be and, there, and, and, yeah. And, but it's costing them thousands of dollars a month to do that. It's it's and it's, so the financial burden is 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 really serious. So our healthcare system could be fixed up a little better. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I just want to quickly mention a TV show I, I landed on last night. It's called The Blue Zone. It's yeah. about uh, this man who studied where there's a high concentration of people who live beyond 100 oh, around the world. And so he found five places that he's talking about. I only got through you know, two episodes. So it was Okinawa and um, uh, Sardine, Sardinia in Italy, and then Loma Linda in California, oddly oh. enough. So anyway, he's documenting what are the patterns? What is it they're doing? What are their rituals? What are they eating? You know, how are they relating to people? What are what are they doing that causes that? And he's coming up with. So I highly recommend uh, watching it. It was pretty inspiring. I learned mm -hmm. a lot about things that uh, that I could shift mm -hmm. and saw alignment with some of my own you know mindset things. We I saw that we saw that last night too. It's I can't remember what platform it's on, but but uh, the blue zone thing is is a fascinating thing and and the Okinawa one was there this lady who's 104 I think mm -hmm. and and still playing games with her children but doing music the music was just an incredibly important part of her life mm -hmm. and continues to play and sing uh, and and it keeps her going so yep and the people in Sardinia, it was just walking up steps all the time. I mean, it's built on a hill, right? Yeah, so they're that's just how my up mom kept like, you know. walking up and down North Beach, you know, on yes. the hills every day, yeah. every day. That's right. So Linda was talking earlier about, uh, you know, leaving a legacy. And um, so I was just curious, are there any other milestones that you're trying to achieve? Or like, I feel like for me, when I say it to someone, tell it to my friend, my mom, my, my girlfriend, whatever, then 
then someone hears it, and now I have to do it. So are there any milestones you're trying to achieve in the next couple years, five years, 10 years? There's a bunch of countries that I want to go to. And, uh, and the big thing, though, is for me to do my memoirs. You've mentioned, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm that, I've got to get my memoirs done, because I have friends calling me. You need to write your memoirs. I'm like, what are you talking about? But they're right. Yeah. The same here. Uh, we, there's a lot of places we want to we want to go see and visit, and we have friends again in various places in the world, and we saw them once, you know, 20 years ago. We need to go see them again. Um, but the writing thing I found is an important part of this leaving a legacy thing, because because I I just started writing down my life, and that fact that's my working title, my life. Okay, but um, but I also realized that in revisiting the experiences in my life that I needed to get back into some of the history of things that were going on at the time that those, you know, I was in Chicago in 1968. Oh, there were things happening in Chicago in 1968. And so revisiting all that and remembering it and, and getting it written out. But part of it is, is I want to pass it on, leave a legacy for my grandchildren and great grandchildren to know that this is the life I lived. I don't know if they'll read it, but uh, <laughs> I have hopes for that. <laughs> For me, I, I have a bucket list of travel, and I, I absolutely want to go to Africa. I've not been to Africa, so I want to go to Africa. And I want to go to um, Accra in Ghana because I want to go through the door of no return. Um, because it's important to me from a spiritual kind of way that, to know that my ancestors went through that door and never returned. And I want to go through the door, which is right next to a door return, uh, to say, we made it, we survived, I'm here. I guess um, mine might be a little simpler. I mean, I, I want to see the Northern Lights, of course. I want a grandchild, which is going to be really far away from, you know, because I'm already 77 and my daughter's no interest at all. But, and I said, I, I don't care about you getting married, I just want the grandkid. Because <laughs> all, all we, you know, I was 50 before I had, uh, we, we adopted our daughter, so, so I'm an older parent. And all my contemporaries are already grand, have grandchildren or great-grandchildren already. But I think for me, my milestone is every day, every day at the end of the day, if I, if I go to bed happy, content, and made a connection with friends and family, and just know that I've done the best I could, that's my milestone every day. Uh, so Jimmy, you mentioned you know wanting to go to Ghana. So one of my great blessings before the pandemic was to go to Accra, Ghana, and mm -hmm. I was there for three weeks, and I, I came back uh, in January of 2020, and then six weeks later, we were in lockdown. Mm. And um, and I think, thank God that I made that trip to Ghana because I rediscovered so many things about uh, my ancestors, where I came from. I don't know if they're from Ghana or not, but um, just the feeling of seeing people with agency who look like me, who had the most beautiful, you know, music and and clothing and just a sense of, of, of purpose and they're close to the earth and, uh, and then the Americans who've moved back there, which is, there's a whole exodus, mm -hmm. are living their best lives, you know. I mean, they're beating cancer, I mean, diagnosed with cancer here, they go over there and a year later, 
it's gone, you know, and, and you know, or having a baby in the, you know, 70 years old, you know, as a baby. But anyway, yeah, that I wouldn't do. But <laughs> I'm just saying that the reconnecting, you know, was amazing. So I hope you make that trip uh, soon. That's great. Um, and I think lastly, like, you know, for someone, I, I'm in my 40s, and is there anything you would share to me as advice for my next however many years, what I should do, what, uh, I don't know, any life advice for me, or even, I'm, I'm sure it can apply to people a little bit younger, but even for me. Be curious. Just keep, keep being curious about new things and, and being willing to embrace new ideas. Uh, I just find that that is really invigorating to, to just keep learning. Um, and keep running. Oh, I, yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> Try. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I agree with that. Stay curious. And um, like Dory says in Finding Nemo, just keep swimming, swimming, <laughs> swimming. Thank you. To me, um, nothing is impossible. If you think it's possible, just do it. Go for it. And don't be afraid. Just go for it and wherever you go and whatever you achieve, it's gonna be yours. Continue lifelong learning. And that goes with the curious. And I think the other thing is, is don't be afraid to make a major change in your life mm -hmm. if, if that's what's called for. I, I decided to become a Presbyterian minister at the age of 50. Uh, and I've had a wonderful 20 plus years doing it. And I'm really, it was w one of the best things I ever did. Uh, not to, di you know, put aside the, what I did before that, but, but I think, uh, you know, being willing to do things, embrace new things at whatever age is, is, is a good thing. And then the last thing I would add too is just know who you are and be who you are at all times. I mean, people, you know, from a young age are always trying to figure out who am I, you know, and how do I want to show up? So to, to the extent that you understand, always be curious about that and then always be that, right? Be authentic. You want everyone around you to see you be you because that's what, that's where all the, the juice is anyway, so. <laughs> Engagement is critical. Engagement, community, family. Uh, wherever your spiritual preferences are, be engaged with those as well because they will add to the quality of your life and you'll bring that to the people you meet. Even with grudges, you think? You'll get over them. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And sometimes you just have to let things go. You know, whether it's a family member that just it just doesn't it just doesn't work anymore, just to let it go and say, okay, that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming today. Like it's, I feel like learning and hearing your story, just your life story, is so inspiring and like. When people say to do something, it, it has more meaning when I hear people, they've done it themselves and live, you know, experienced it themselves and, and what they've done in life. And it's very, super inspiring to hear everyone here. So I'm really, really glad to meet you all today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you everybody, for sharing Namaste. your stories. Thank you. We have a new community here. A new tribe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>